Thank you for joining us online this uh, today. And my name is Pastor Russ. I'm one of the youth pastors here. And today we're going to be diving into John chapter 18. And I can't believe that we're already on John chapter 18. You, you think about everything that we've, if you started with the beginning from, with us, everything we've, we've learned and studied through this book. And it's been 18 weeks of just awesomeness, honestly. <laughs> and last week we had Pastor Eric speak on prayer and the week before that, we had Pastor Glenn talk about how God is, is for us, and he's not actually against us. And today we're going to be talking about something that I think every single one of us probably has struggled with or struggles with currently. And that's whether if you're, you're brand new to your faith, if that's, you've been a Christian almost your entire life, or maybe you're just, you just happen to stumble across this video and, and you're like, I don't even know what this is all about, but... I bet you we've all struggled with this, and that's control in our lives. And control in different areas of our life and what that even looks like in our life. And, and maybe that's something that's really big for you. You love to control things, or there are only a few things that you need to have control in your life. But I'm sure it's a challenge for every single one of us in some aspect. And before we, we, we get into the scriptures, I just want to kind of tell you a little bit about myself. I'm one of the youth pastors here on staff, and one of the things that I, I do in my free time is I, I love to play board games and love to uh, build miniatures and, and paint them up. And it's really, honestly, it's pretty strange. <laughs> but I do like to travel around the whole country. Uh, we take road trips. My friends and I, we take road trips. And there was this one time we took a road trip. And we decided it would be a great idea to drive from New Jersey all the way out to Iowa. So we had a friend in Ohio who had a Tesla. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Let's, let's take it with us. So me and my one friend, I was young. I was in my early 20s, and I really had no money. So I'm like, sweet. If we, we only make it out to Ohio, and we only have to pay for gas in Ohio, and then the Tesla will take us the rest of the way. So we make it out to Ohio at night, and we get in the car, and I honestly, I had no, I, I didn't know anything about these cars. So I'm thinking, we only have about six hours left, and I get in the car, and, and it says there's 12 hours. I'm like, are you kidding me? And it's all the charging stations we have to stop at. So we're in this Tesla. We're driving, and we're in the middle of a cornfield uh, on both sides of the road. And I'm in the back seat. And my two other friends, they're in the, the driver's side and the passenger side. And I'm out cold. I'm asleep. I'm relaxed. I'm just, everything's great. And then I feel the car jerk. And I'm like, what? So my eyes bug out. I'm wide awake at this point, And I look up, and I see in the sunroof. That the, the two guys in the front seat, the driver and the passenger, they're both asleep as well. And this car is going back and forth, back and forth. I'm like, what has happened? I'm thinking maybe we're like on the highway. We got hit by a couple of cars and we're just like, we're going to end up in a ditch or something. My mind's going a million miles an hour. And I finally, I finally sit up and I look around the, the parking lot where we're at. And I realize all we're in is a Walmart parking lot. And this car is just going forward and backwards turning left, turning right, trying to find its charging station because it's lost and we had fallen asleep. But in those, those few moments right there from where I was, I woke up to where I s sat up. I felt like I had a complete loss of control of my life and I had absolutely no idea what was about to happen. And maybe, maybe you guys have felt that way before too. Maybe you truly felt like there was a time in your life when you're like, I have no control over this situation. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe some of these areas you feel out of control in. You know, we have the, the 
pandemic right now and, and we have Karens are coughing all over the place on people and you can't control when, who they cough on, where they cough at. Uh, you have people upset about wearing masks or not wearing masks and maybe we want to just try to control and make everybody do what we want to do. Or maybe there's, you have no idea what's happening with school this, this fall and you feel at a loss of control for that. But you just want to be able to control it so you know the answers. Maybe there's a loss of a job that you had you have no control over your marriage anymore, your finances. And ultimately, as human beings, we all desire control in our life. And when we have control, we feel safe, we feel secure, we feel at peace. If we're in control, everything's fine. Life's good, we're enjoying life, it's great. And then the moment we lose that, everything goes crazy. And if we take this idea of control to another level, we can, we can even say that sometimes, myself included, we're control freaks. We want to control situations so tightly that maybe it's exhausting or it just annoys other people. Maybe you've even experienced this before. Maybe you have an in-law that, or a, a teacher you had that was a control freak. I, I remember I had a teacher. Uh, I was not a good student, especially in math. And I figured out how to do these math problems a, a different way. She's like, you have to do them the way I'm teaching you. And she just wanted to control that situation. And it drove me insane because I just wanted to finish the class when I was younger. And I'm like, if I just get done this way, I'll be done. And I don't have to worry about it anymore. And she just tried to control the situation. And it really frustrated me. Or maybe it was a boss you had or, or a coach that you had. And they were just control freaks. Maybe you've, you've experienced these types of people before. And, and when we think about a control freak, what do, what do we think about? Like, what, what does that even mean? I was reading a, a Forbes article, uh, and this Forbes article was seven signs that you're a control freak. And one of the signs was that you spend a lot of energy trying to prevent bad things from happening. Think about that. You spend a lot of energy. Maybe you spend all of your energy trying to prevent bad things from happening. I don't know if I've ever met somebody who, who woke up in the morning like, man, I can't wait for all this bad stuff to happen to me today. Right? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants bad things to happen to them. But sometimes when we control the situations, we try so hard to prevent bad things from happening. We'll do anything in our own power to try to make that happen. And we want to be control freaks, honestly, over our lives, our relationships, our finances, pretty much everything we have. I'm, I'm guilty of this too. I, I want to have control over things so I feel at peace. I feel calm. I can wake up every day saying, I'm in control and I know what's going on. But if we want to get really deep really fast this morning or today, when you peel back the layers of control, right, it really comes down to power. When we are in control, we feel like we have power. And when we don't have control, we, we really feel powerless. We feel weak. We're afraid. And we don't have, feel like we have power over the situation, the current situation in our life. And, and we're just weak, powerless, and we see everything crashing down before us. And how do we react, react to something we don't feel like we have control in? Jesus has a ton to say about control in the Bible through his time here on earth and in the Old Testament and even continuing in the scriptures. And as we look at John chapter 18 today, I want you to, to think about how Jesus handles the situation he's in and how one of his disciples handles the situation. They're both in the exact same situation they're both experiencing the exact same thing, but Jesus handles it one way and reacts and responds. 
And Peter, we, I love Peter. I love studying and I love reading about him. He reacts in a totally different way. So I'm going to pray with you guys before we jump in. God, just come before you and just lift up this, this passage here. <clears throat> I lift up the, the control in our lives sometimes that just it can consume us. And that you, we know that you are in control of our lives. And we know that it, it's not always pre- it doesn't feel like it's always present, but we, we know that you exist and you have a plan for us. And as we, we study your, your scripture this morning, let us just be reminded of that and that your, your spirit just stir us on. In your name, amen. All right, so I'm going to read the passages and it's starting in chapter 18, verse 3. So Judas, having produced a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who, had, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off the right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into your sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? This, before this passage, Jesus and his disciples are entering the garden. His public ministry is now over. His private ministry with his disciples is now over. He had just washed their feet. He had just pretty much laid out everything they needed to know. He had the last meal with them, and he explained everything that was going to happen. I'm, I'm not sure if they actually really understood what was about to unfold. But Jesus is setting them up to say, hey, Things are about to change. And it may be a little scary, but I'm still going to be here. So they're in the garden. And as they're in the garden, Judas, one of the disciples, he comes up with, in verse 3, it says, Judas, having produced a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, were with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So it was nighttime out. And Judas brings his band of soldiers. And a band also translates to a cohort or about a sixth of a legion. So you have about 600 Roman soldiers coming towards Jesus. And you have the chief priests, their guards, and the Pharisees. They're all, they're all coming towards Jesus in the garden. And Jesus is there with his 11 disciples, his friends. And they come up to him and they say, and Jesus looks at him and goes, who are you looking for? And they're like, Jesus in Nazareth. And he goes, yeah, that's me. And he just simply answers them that question. There are Roman soldiers that are coming to Jesus and he just is in complete control of that situation, not by, by calling down angels and fighting a battle for them. They were probably prepared for some resistance to arrest Jesus this night. But Jesus says, yeah, that's me. I'm right here. I don't know if you've joined us on our Sunday morning services outside, but usually we have about 300 people gather outside. And I'm sure after this Sunday, if uh, all 300 of those people were upset with me about something after I'm, I'm done speaking. Um, and they all came towards me as a large mob. I would probably be absolutely terrified and I would feel powerless and out of control. And I'm sure I would get beat up in some capacity. 
But Jesus has, there's hundreds of people here to arrest Jesus. And he's just calm and he's in control of this situation. And he says, yeah, that's me. And, and you only want me. You, you don't need the rest of these guys. You can let them go. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And there was nothing that was going to stop him from this, fr- this thing from happening. He knew it was going to happen. We uh, <clears throat> I teach our, our youth group this. Uh, and even when I was in children's ministry, I, I taught this. Um, we, sometimes we, we don't understand the big picture in life. Uh, when we take uh, trips with our high school students uh, on missions trips, they, they always want to know the entire plan for the entire week. And we'll answer them like, hey, we're not sure yet, or, or you're about to find out, or we'll tell you tomorrow what's going to happen for that day. But they always want to know the big picture. And if you're a high school student uh, watching this, I'll give you a little hint. Um, sometimes I actually don't know the answer to what's, what's about to happen. Um, but we need to focus on what's, what's there in front of us and not the big picture. And I think the disciples and, and the, the Roman soldiers and the, the Pharisees there, they were, on the, they were just focused in on what was happening right before their eyes. And Jesus understood the big picture. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to take a carriage ride in the city and with a horse and they have these blinders on and the blinders protect the horse so it doesn't see to the left and right of them. So it doesn't get distracted by what's going on and the car zipping by down the street. And we're kind of like that, that horse with those blinders on. If you even, if you're sitting at home, you can even take your hands like this and you look straight ahead. You can't see to the left or the right of you. You can only see what's right in front of you. Maybe if there's someone sitting next to you, you can't see them anymore, right? And that's, this is how we see your life. And when we take our hands down, I, I see the entire room around me. And you probably see there's people in the room if they're, if you're in a room with people, or you see the rest of the room. And this is what, what God sees in life. He sees the entire picture of what's happening. So he knew what was happening. He's like, yeah, th- this is happening. Nothing's going to stop this from happening. And, and I know everything that's about to happen right here. He's, he's in control of this situation. And what I love it is it just sounds like he's so calm about it. He doesn't yell at them or command them saying, yeah, this is me. Hey. He's... He's just like, yeah, I am he. And the, the great part is he utters these three words, I am he. And when he utters these three words, the Roman soldiers fall down. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So you think you have Roman soldiers who are probably trained not to be afraid of things. And Jesus utters three simple words, I am he. And these guys take a step back and they're on their gra- the grounds. There's seven other times that that phrase, I am he, is, is used in scripture. And I found this quote of explaining what this means, uh, the I am statements. And it's, these words reflect the very name of God in Hebrew, which is Yahweh, which means to be or the self-existing one. It is the name of power and authority. And Jesus claimed it as his own. When Jesus uttered these, these simple words, he was, he was saying, not only am, am I uh, Jesus Nazareth, but I'm divine. I'm a deity. I have all the power and the authority of God. And I don't know if they, maybe they felt something or if they realized something that was happening. But, but I'm sure they were like, oh, yeah, this isn't just a normal human being. This is somebody different. 
And Jesus had all the power and all the authority in that situation, and he was completely under control. They probably thought they were in control. Jesus probably thought he had this all wrapped up because he had all the backup he thought he needed. And Jesus is like, nope, I'm actually in control of the situation. And he's in control of our lives all the time. And this is, this gets us to the next part, which is, which is with Peter. And I love Peter. I love reading about Peter. He, as, as pastors, it's really easy just to rip on Peter um, because I think he's just so passionate about Jesus. And he loves Jesus so much. And he's like, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. And in these next couple of verses, what he does is, is interesting, to say the least. And it says in verse 10, and it says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Simon said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? When we look at Peter, I think he probably got excited about what was happening. But I also think he probably, he probably saw his world just crumbling before him. He just spent the last three years with Jesus. He was his friend. He was his mentor. He was his teacher. He just spent in the upper room with him. Just washed his feet. Jesus broke bread with him. This was his friend. And I think he didn't understand. He obviously didn't understand the big picture. And when he sees these, these guards come to arrest Jesus, he probably says, oh my goodness. My world is crumbling before me and I feel absolutely powerless right now. And I don't know what to do. So he tries to do something. He's just like, if I can fix this situation and I can get some type of control, maybe I'll feel at peace again and we can go back to what's normal. So he pulls out the sword and he, I, I don't honestly know what he was thinking. It's one guy with a sword against like 600 Roman soldiers and the priests and their guards. Like, come on, Peter. Like, I don't know what really he was thinking. But he was probably just saying, I just need some type of control to feel secure and at peace again here. And he goes and he, he lops a guy's ear off. And let's, let's take a step back from Peter and let's look at our own lives. Are there things that happen in our life that like make us feel powerless, that we'll just grasp at anything to make us feel secure again, feel like we have some power and control in our lives again? You know, there's, there's this pandemic we've been dealing with for a long time, and maybe it just feels out of control right now. Maybe you're just reacting to it in a way you think is best, or there's a, there's a looming election coming, and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to the country after this. And, or maybe you're just tired of being at home with the family, and you're like, you feel like I, you've lost control of the household. And there's a lot of stuff right now that is out of our control. There's a lot of things going on in this world that we really have no control over. But I know for a fact that God has control over those things. It may not seem like it right now, but I know he does. He had control in the garden. He had control of that situation and he knew it was going to happen. He saw the big picture. And he has control right now in in the world we live in. Right here, right now. And when we have those moments of, of loss of control or maybe we feel powerless, there's one thing we can do for ourselves. And last week, Pastor Eric talked a lot about prayer and the importance of prayer. 
And I've heard it said a couple times, and, and people say that prayer is the primary work of God's people. And I believe that to be true. When we feel out of control, when we feel like we don't know what's going on right now, we can turn to God in prayer. A few, uh, two years ago, we took a, a missions trip down to Ecuador, <clears throat> and we were down with high school students, and we had, we were, and for the first week, we were in Quito, which is the capital city, up on the mountains. Uh, for the fir- first week half, week, half of the week, we uh, served inside the city, just around different places. And then halfway through that week, they said, hey, we want to take you out of the city to the, uh, about an hour and a half way to the jungle. Um, and you're going to help with a, a day camp there. And we're like, this is awesome. This is great. So we go down an hour and a half, come off the mountain. And the second night we were there, one of our students gets really, really sick. And I remember getting the knock on the, the door that night. It was like midnight. I'm like, hey, Russ, um, this person's sick, and we have to go to the hospital. And I'm like, okay. So I, I go visit the student. And I'm like, yeah, we, we definitely need to go to the hospital. So I remember we find somebody to, to drive us to the, to the hospital, which is back in the, the city of Quito. So it's an hour and a half away. And I know the person doesn't speak any English that's going to give us a ride back. And so we find somebody who can translate for us in case something goes wrong. And me and, and three other, two other leaders and the student, we, we pile into the car and we drive back. I remember sitting in that front seat of that car ride knowing there's an hour and a half, hour and a half car ride back to the city, back to the hospital. I remember looking over the dashboard and I see the gas light is already on. And I'm like, we are not going to make this. And we have to go up a mountain, back up the mountain. I'm like... There's no way we're going to make this trip. And I remember that was like one of the longest car rides I've had. I'm, I, apparently, I have really a bad experience in, in car rides. But um, I remember sitting in that hospital, and in all honesty, it didn't matter what I knew. It didn't matter what I could do. It didn't matter even who I knew. I had zero control of that situation. There was nothing I could do that would help that situation get better. The only thing I could actually do was pray. And that entire night I prayed. And I remember just sitting in that, that waiting room just praying. And finally the missionaries came and they're like, hey, why don't you kind of try to get some sleep at our house? It was like six in the morning. I remember going over and, and just continuing to pray for this situation. I'm like, God, this is in your hands. And I know you have control of this situation. I can't do anything for it. And I was for certain thought that that student was going to have to go home and we would be flying her home. But through the power of prayer, she recovered, and she stayed with us the rest of the trip. And I remember coming home, and, and people were like, oh, how scary was that? Like, oh, that, that must have been terrifying. And I remember just thinking back that I felt as scary of a situation that was, I felt at peace because I knew that God was in control. I knew that he had this whole situation handled, and it didn't matter what I could do or what I did because he, he was ultimately in that control. And we know that, that God is in control, but at the same time, we're humans. We're human beings, and we're not perfect. And sometimes we'll make decisions, just like Peter made a decision. And, and we may think it's the best decision right there in the moment, and sometimes it's really not. Probably wasn't the best decision for Peter to lop that guy's ear off, but he did it. But the beauty is that Jesus, who says, I am, he, there's simple words, declaring himself as Lord, his divinity, his all the power and the authority coming out of him. 
he picks up that ear, we know in other accounts of the, the gospel, that he picks that ear up and he heals that man. And you see in that, that passage, it says, the man was a servant. It wasn't a high priest. It wasn't a, a Roman officer. He was just a servant. And Jesus still healed that man. He still had compassion on him. And the beauty of the gospel that we, we've been studying is that there's freedom, there's healing and redemption in the gospel for our lives. You know, we, maybe you're like, yeah, I try really hard. I'm coming to church. I'm reading my Bible. And I feel like I've just lost control and I'm, I'm broken. And I don't know what to do anymore. And yeah, I know that Jesus is supposed to be in control, but it doesn't feel like it right now. The, the beauty of the gospel and, and Jesus is that there is freedom in that, that Jesus can use our brokenness for his glory and he can restore us. If you continue reading in John chapter 18, not only does Peter cut the guy's ear off, he then turns around later that night and denies him three more times and says, yeah, I don't know who Jesus is anymore. Right? So he cuts the guy's ear off and then he denies that he ever knew Jesus. And Jesus is like, Peter, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give you new life and I'm going to use you. And he can, if you study anything more about Peter, Peter helped us build the church. God used him in mighty ways and we restored that relationship with him later on when Jesus raises from the dead. And there is freedom, there's restoration in that gospel in who Jesus is. In a minute, we're going to go into a time of worship and in the opening verse of the song, it says, in the crushing and the pressing, you're making new wine. And sometimes out of our brokenness, God can create something absolutely beautiful in us. He can create something beautiful in you. So I don't know, maybe, maybe you need to let, control of some, let go of control in some area of your life right now. Maybe you're like, you're trying to hold on to it and it's exhausting. And you're like, hey, God, I'm going to give you control of the situation. Or maybe you've tried that and you're like, God, I am so broken. I've tried to control things. Now I feel completely powerless, completely broken. And maybe, maybe you just need to come to God, come to Jesus and say, I want freedom in you. I want freedom in the things you offer in restoration to be built new again, to be made new again in your life. And that's, that's the beauty. That's what makes me so excited about reading the gospel and sharing it is that there is freedom and restoration in those areas. Trust you, I 
God, we, we come before you and we, we know that you are in control. We know that you're in control of this world. We know that you're in control of our lives. But as human beings, sometimes it always doesn't feel like it. And sometimes we go ahead and we, we make decisions, maybe hastily decisions that end up causing more damage than we thought they would. And now we're just broken. And we don't know what to do. And we, we come to you in that brokenness and we say, God, we're broken. We admit we're broken. And all you want is just for us to be there, be in your presence. And we just offer our brokenness up to you right now. Jesus, you, you uttered three words and it, explained all the power and the authority that you had. You had had the power and the authority to make men 
crumble and, and kneel before you by uttering three simple words, know that you have the power to restore brokenness. If there's someone who needs to be restored in their brokenness, they just they just lift that up to you as as we we sing these words and we just reflect on that. In your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us this weekend. Immediately following this, we have a kid service. So please stay tuned for that and have a great week and we'll see you next week.